Bibles, if you would, and turn to John chapter 5. We're going to go there in just a moment. I want to read another few verses out of the book of Hebrews as we get started this morning. Last week, we talked about God's love toward us, the love of Jesus, how that he had certain people that he loved and the relationship with them and the example that that is for us today. And this morning, by God's grace, I'd like to take last Sunday's message and start there and move forward as God's love is accepted to us. As we accept that love, as we receive it, there are some things that ought to happen in our life. You know, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to love the Lord. Amen? And yet Jesus, in his preaching, said we're to love our enemies as well. And that means that the annoying people that live on the block have to come in there somewhere between our enemies and the Lord we love. Amen? Uh, And we're supposed to love our friends anyway, right? And so there's not really any living person that's left out of the scope of God's love in our life. But when's the last time you met an unlovely person? How many of it was yesterday? Uh, don't raise your hands on this. How many of you have been unlovely this week? Uh, I have to qualify for that. Uh, We're finishing the project of the office. Always get grumpy right at the very end uh, of the project, kind of run out of everything there. And yet, I want us to put this in the context that God wants it in. And that's why I want to read a few verses from Hebrews God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. I want us to start this morning just by understanding that Jesus is the sum total of God's revelation of his love to us as human beings. We've often said, you've often heard me say, this is God's love letter to mankind. Amen? This is God explaining himself to us so that we can understand enough about God to have a real relationship with him. Uh, there, there are just some people that uh, you will know, but you'll never know them well enough to actually have a relationship with that person. I mean, if the president of the United States walked in the back door, would there be anybody here that would not recognize him? Well, see, you know who he is, right? But would he recognize anyone in here? No. He doesn't know us. A relationship goes both ways. We know that there's a God. We know that that God loves us. But does he know you? That happens when you get saved. Amen? 
and he wants that relationship to go both ways. And before you understand what that is, you've got to understand that the life and ministry of Jesus Christ is the greatest, the most complete, and the best way to understand God's love. Did Jesus always have a warm, ushy-gushy feeling inside for everybody? No, there's sometimes he was pretty harsh now, wasn't he? I mean, last Sunday we talked about the rich young ruler. Jesus was literally mocking this young man as he walked away. Why? Because he loved him enough to do everything to shake him to his soul. So that when he stands before God, which he will, there will be no excuse for him having rejected the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. We have this idea that we're just supposed to feel nice about everybody. That's not love. In fact, that's kind of fantasy land as far as I understand. I don't believe there's one soldier serving in the United States military that feels good about having to point a gun at another person. But they do it because they love their country and they love the freedom that we have and they're trying to preserve it. Amen? Now, love is something that God wants each of us to experience and to have every day. In fact, let's go to John chapter 5. If you're going to take this next step, if you're going to have God's love and express it toward others, uh, I know this may sound kind of trite and I'm not trying to be uh, anything except just build a proper foundation so we can move into uh, the, the main theme of the message for this morning. But... Verse 42 says, But I know you, that ye have not the love of God in you. Now Jesus said these words to the Pharisees. They were arguing with him. They were accusing him. They were asking him to prove who he is. And Jesus in verse 29 says, Search the scriptures for in them you think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me, and ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I receive not honor from men, but I know you that ye have not the love of God in you. Why did Jesus say that? Because they were trying to kill him. You know, people have done some of the strangest and most perverse things holding a Bible in their hand. You know, these Pharisees were quoting the Scriptures. They had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy memorized. Now that that just... uh, I I have hundreds of verses in my mind, but I, I couldn't quote all of Genesis. I mean, that's amazing. And yet that was the entrance test to be a Pharisee. 
I mean, that was Pharisee 101. Uh, It was a lot more complicated than that. And yet they knew the Bible backwards and forwards. They had the scriptures in their minds, not in their hearts. And when they were put face to face with choosing their righteousness and Jesus' righteousness, they couldn't give up on their own. And so they had to reject Jesus Christ. You see, you can't have God's love for others until you have received it for yourself. I know that sounds very simple, but as a pastor, I I stand before you week after week, and I'll tell you what, I could not give an answer for true salvation for every person in this room because I don't know that you have, some people, I don't know that you have a testimony of Bible salvation. One of the ways that you prove that testimony of Bible salvation is by getting baptized. We don't baptize anybody that can't give ample Biblical testimony that they've already been saved. Amen? That's the Bible. That's how the process works. Tell you, the greatest gift you can give your family is when you pass from this life into the next, they know where you're going. Maybe they hate you for it. You denied the family religion and became... One of them crazy Baptist, but I'll tell you what, they'll know your testimony. People ought to know your testimony. If you have received the love of Jesus Christ, you ought to tell people you've gotten it. Amen? You ought to be willing to follow the Lord through baptism and serve him in the local church. That's what it's all about. Jesus looked at this group of preachers and said, you don't have the love of God in you because if you had the love of God in you, you would love me. You know, there are some churches out there that teach that Jesus is not the Son of God. They call themselves a church but they can't have the love of God if they don't love Jesus. And of course, there's another group that teach only Jesus. They don't teach God the Father or God the Holy Spirit. Well, read the book of 1 John. Read 2 John. If you have the Father, if you have the Son, you have the Father. You can't have part of God. Uh, That's not possible. That's like trying to dig half a hole. Anybody ever try that? Give you $100 if you can dig half a hole. You say, well, the hole was planned to be 12 inches in diameter and I only got six, therefore it's half. No, it's still a six-inch hole. Uh, You cannot do that. You cannot have part of God. Because God does not slice himself up into little pieces. He is God. 
And when you receive his love, it will do something to you. The love of Christ. Uh, how many of you read the words in that song, Who is on the Lord's side? By his love constraining. I'll tell you what, if you love another human being, it'll make you do some things. And gladly so. One of the happiest days in my life, I put this ring on my finger. Why? Because I love my wife. I hate to take it off. Not because my finger got fat, uh, but simply because I hate to take this ring off. It is a pleasant thing to have. Now, if I'm welding, I take it off because it can actually burn your finger off if something happens. And so I want to keep the finger so I can wear the ring. Amen? But the simple truth of the matter is, we say we love Jesus, and it doesn't do anything. Something's wrong with that equation, my friend. And there's not a one of us. I hope you understand that I never come into this pulpit as the great pontificator to tell all of you sinners down there how to do things. I'm preaching things I need from the scripture too. We have got to let God's love do its work in our life. But you have to understand what God's love really is and what it isn't. It's not always just a warm, ushy-gushy feeling inside. And by the way, God's love is never there for your convenience. God does not do things because of His love in order to meet your expectations. God will always change your expectations to meet the statutes of his love. How many of you have ever tried to figure out how God's going to do something? Never works that way. I've often joked it's because if you actually did figure out what God was going to do, he'll change it just so you won't, right? No, he already knows. He's, his love is not there. You see... We have lots of problems with this word love. We think we love people, and we think if they love us, they will do certain things. And this happens in families a lot. And yet, what's the whole world talk about? Unconditional love, don't they? Let me tell you something. God's love is unconditional but he doesn't bend it to fit you. He would much rather bend you to fit his love. That's what talking about conforming to the image of Christ. And God's love is there. We learned that last week. God's love will make you love what God loves. Amen? I mean, that is a profound statement of the obvious, is it not? 
But we often don't look at it that way. God's love will make us love what God's what God loves. And so I got a real problem with people who tell me, oh, pastor, I just love Jesus and I love to read the Bible, but, you know, I just don't have time for church. Wait a minute. He loved his church and gave himself for it. If you have his love, you're going to love the things that God loves. Amen? Pastor, that road is just too narrow. I can't struggle to live that way in this world. I just got to give in on a few things. Well, wait a minute. Jesus didn't say that he'll save us to sin. He said he'd save us from our sin. And this is, this is the big struggle of the Christian life. I don't know how many people I've sat with in the office and I said, listen, as long as you're struggling, we're struggling with you. But you stop fighting. This is not going to be a very nice church for you to be around. We're all sinners struggling to serve the Lord. And we fail. And we'll fail. But we're not looking for excuses to fail. Amen? And we're also looking to encourage one another to holiness. To leave the world. To have the strength to simply say no. How many of you remember Miss Nancy Reagan's program against drugs? Just say no. And all of the grief that she was given over that. It's too complicated. Well, let me ask you a question. If you're going to stop using drugs, don't you just have to say no at one point or another in your life? Uh, if you're going to stop sin, you're going to have to say no somewhere. What, what our job is here as a church is to help you say no to the world and help you say yes to the Savior. You know what? It's hard. To love everybody. You say, but I love myself. Yeah, that's the biggest problem of all now, isn't it? The Bible has another word for self-love. It's called pride. The biggest sin you will ever face is pride. It's one of those things you're never going to get rid of it. I remember one of the professors I had in Bible college, he was a kind of a strange duck, but I'll tell you, he nailed this one just right. He says, you know, you think you face a lot of temptations as young men. He was talking to us in the class. He says, as you get older, he said, you'll realize that every temptation you face is connected to pride. You see, we think hate is the opposite of love. I'll tell you, pride is the opposite of love. And if we're going to receive the love of Jesus, we've got to get rid of pride of self-love 
We've got to let the love of Jesus push that out of our life. And let me tell you, it's like trying to stop running water. How many of you have ever had a pipe to get a little hole in it? Oh, I know, I'll fix this. I'll just wrap it with duct tape. Drip, drip, drip out both ends. Well, I'll put some solder on it. You cannot solder a pipe with running water in it. One time, we, they were building uh, the school building at Cleveland Baptist, and uh, one of the men there that was in charge of the thing, he says, I got a job for you. And I said, Mike, I don't have time for this. He said, no, no, I got, I, you've got to do this for me. And he gave me a bag of cement. And he said, we got a leak down here in the uh, drain water pipe. And I had to climb down in the culvert. It was a pipe about this big around. I was down under the ground about 10 feet with this bag of cement. And the water is just pouring into the drain, groundwater. He said, you keep stuffing this cement in there until it hardens and it'll stop the leak. Easier said than done, my friend. Hydraulic cement will harden while it's wet. But the water pressure will keep pushing it out. You, I mean, uh, and I finally got out of there after about 45 minutes and called him up the next day and said, I did what you said, but it didn't work. He said, you didn't do what I said. Well, I may not have. But let me tell you, that's, that's getting pride out of your life is trying to stop running water. It's the struggle. And we've got to fight until Jesus comes back. And let me tell you something. Engaging in that struggle is one of the ways that we can show his love back to him. Amen? How many of you get weary in the struggle? But be not weary in well-doing. Amen? It's fighting that battle. It's continuing there. I want you to turn with me forward to John chapter 13. You must first receive God's love in your life. As you receive that love, it's going to do something to you. And we're going to just pick up with the last verse from last week's sermon here. Uh, not the last verse, this was actually point one of last week's. Verse 15 of John chapter 13, For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done unto you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if Ye do them. Skip down with me to verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another. Now, we love that verse. Amen? Especially when we're in need of love. Right? How many of you read the rest of the verse already? As I have loved you, that ye also... Love one another. I've had many people over the years say, but I'm not Jesus, I can't do that. 
Well, wait a minute, then why did he say this here? He said, I'm giving you a commandment, a new commandment, that ye love one another. And here is how you fulfill that, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. You must first receive God's love in your life before you can share it with someone else. But one thing that God's love will do is it will allow you to look at others as Christ looks at you. I've often said this, and I always get a snicker when I say it. One of the reasons God gives us children is so we can see what God has to put up with from us. Amen? If we could look at others the same way Christ looks at us, we would love everybody now, wouldn't we? How many of you have ever ran out of patience with another human being? Has anybody else ever had that problem? I'm glad I'm not alone. But why do we run out of patience with other people? Usually because they can't do something as well or the way that we think they ought to do them. Isn't that true? You ever met a really patient person? It's wonderful to be around patient people. It's just trying to the depths of your soul to be patient with others. Isn't that true? And here's the key to that. It says that ye love one another as I have loved you. We need to look at other people and their shortcomings the same way we know that Jesus sees ours and our shortcomings. I had an uncle that was in a different uh, religion. Uh, uh, he was a Baptist. I'm not a Baptist, but uh, he was a basically a, a Bible-believing Christian, but it was a different denomination. And one of the things that they, they taught was that you could lose your salvation and I'd been studying my Bible, preparing for the ministry. This was many years ago, and, and uh, my uncle is with the Lord now for 20-some uh, years. And, but he and I would talk about this a little bit. And, and uh, I had to be very careful because I didn't want to say things that were disrespectful to, to my uncle. He was, I believe, I'll see Uncle Blair in heaven. And one of the reasons I believe I'll see him there is because as we begin talking about this idea of losing your salvation, it became very clear that though Uncle Blair believed many people could lose their salvation, he couldn't lose his. You see, that was for those people that just went out there and did all these horrible things. Let me tell you something. How many of you are glad you don't lose your salvation every time you sin? Would you say amen with me? 
And so that's the basis of where we look to others. How many times have you been to Jesus asking him to forgive you? Sometimes for the same thing over and over again. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus said, as I have loved you. As I have loved you, that ye also love one another. If I'm worthy of his love, so is that person that is making my life so miserable right now. Amen? So, number one, you've got to receive God's love into your life. Number two, you must look at others as Christ sees you. And number three, let's go to John chapter 15. This is a daily process. It doesn't stop. It never will be completed. If you're going to have love to give to others, you've got to go get it from God. Amen? That love will allow you to see others as Christ sees them. But let me tell you, if you ever stop, you're going to run out and you're not going to have enough. And this is the struggle. It is going back and getting. And Jesus said here, John chapter 13 and John chapter 15 again is part of that uh, teaching, last teaching of Jesus as he was on his way to Gethsemane where he would be arrested. And that night, all the events would begin to take place. Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. That's the basis. He said, I've given you that example in washing the disciples' feet. And we come here to John chapter 15. We'll start in verse 9. But before we read that, let's put it in context here. Verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. The last phrase here, for without me ye can... Do nothing. Verse 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. That's what we need. Amen. How are you going to continue in God's love? Daily. Hourly. Moment by moment. If ye keep my commandments... Ye shall abide in my love. Now, we've talked about this before. When we sin, we break God's commandments. The Christian takes that breaking of God's commandments and goes right back to God with it. If we confess our sins, praise God, not to the pastor. You confess them to God. And he forgives you. He says... If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy 
might be full. This is my commandment, teach ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Jesus said, listen, I want you to continue in my love. How do you continue in God's love? Keep his commandments. How many of you enjoyed the video Friday night, Dr. Law and Dr. Grace? Well, I'll tell you what, that really brings to light some very simple yet incredibly profound truths from the Scriptures. You can't get saved by keeping the law. The law is the diagnosis. It is the schoolmaster in Galatians. The law drives us to grace. Grace does the work of saving us, amen? But once we're saved, that law that had condemned us now becomes our friend to help us continue in his love. Now that doesn't mean that I earn my righteousness by keeping the law. We took care of that before. But God's law, his commandments help us. Continue ye in my love. The Bible says pray without ceasing. Some people have taken that verse, what they think literally, and they just get on their knees and they pray 24 hours a day. And they don't talk to anybody and they just eat crackers and they live in a little monastery away from all the world. And they say, you see, I'm following what the Bible says. Wrong. You know, prayer without obedience attached to it is just sophistry. It's just a demonstration of pride. And that's why those monasteries and uh, nunneries and things like that where people have said, I'm retiring from the world so I can pray have been some of the deepest dens of iniquity known to mankind because it's disobedience, it's not obedience. Praying without ceasing simply means there ought to be, there ought never be a day in your life where you don't spend time in prayer with God. Amen? Keep my commandments. This is the key to joy. How many of you have lived the Christian life long enough to experience the joy that comes with obedience to God's word? Amen? And when we disobey, it brings sorrow, does it not? But then we confess our sins and go back to him and we start the struggle again. You see... We got to get past self. That is our huge, most. That is our largest hindrance. Our greatest hindrance to loving others is ourself. You see, that's why it says, "Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends." Jesus said, "He that's going to save his life, is going to lose it." 
He that will lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, the same shall save it. The first will be last. The last will be first. I mean, how many of you get frustrated with somebody that's just got to be first? I mean, they just got to cut the line. They just got to cut you off in traffic so they can be ahead of you. I don't know about you, but that stuff, that, get, that gets to me. You know why? Pride. Isn't it? I got to get the love of Christ. What about you? You see, it will do things. It will allow me to see others the way Christ sees others. If I don't continually fill myself with the love of Christ, I run out of what I need to put up with other people. And it's really easy to get busy. And people become the burden instead of what they're supposed to be, the objects of God's love in our life. Isn't it frustrating to see how far below the standard of God's love we fall? But again, I want to remind you this is a worship service. And if we're going to worship God, we got to do it His way and not our way. We've got to constantly be reminded how far we've got to go just to get to the first level of His love. But... It's that understanding that will drive pride out of your life, will it not? And there's nothing that humbles a human being like failure. Isn't that true? Now, here in modern American society, we've made failure an issue of pride. Just because you think 2 plus 2 equals 3, that's okay. We wouldn't want to damage your psyche by telling you you're wrong. Especially if I'm giving you change, right? No, let me... Let's, let's get a hold of this thing. There is a right. There is a wrong. And no matter how, many, how long you've lived for the Lord Jesus Christ, you're always going to come up on the wrong side of things because you're a human being. But if we allow that love to enter our hearts, we'll have some love to give to others. It will change our eyesight so that we can see other people the same way Jesus sees us. And once we allow that to happen, we've opened the conduit so that God's love can flow through us. 
But God did not build a reservoir in the human being. He made us a pipeline. You've constantly got to have inflow because once you pour it in, it's going somewhere. By the way, isn't that a really good working definition of what church is all about? We're supposed to come together and pray that God's love comes in and then sprinkle it all over the world in which we walk during the week and come back get some more. And by the way, this is not the only place you can get it. You ought to be reading your Bible on your own and praying on your own and finding other sources uh, there, and it's not on TVN or television or any of those things. It's in face-to-face meetings because it's easy to love people long distance that you've never seen. It's only the ones that are up close and personal that are hard to love. Isn't that true? That's why so many churches are willing to send everything all across the world, but they won't go across the street to invite somebody to join them. Let me tell you, you've got to do both. Now, as I prepared this message, there is one big point that I, I want. I, I, I've got to work on this. And the invitation this morning is simply this. How many would say with me, Pastor, I need to work on that too. I I need God to do this in my life. And let's just bow our heads. The hymn of invitation is one we know well. Brother Franz, don't even worry about coming up to lead the song. Just as I am. You know, that's the only way you come to Jesus. And I just want to challenge you. If you need this message this morning like I've needed this message this morning. Just want to challenge you, slip out of your seat. Let's just spend some time on our knees before holy God and ask him for his love that we may give it to others.